All right. Good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks. <laughs> hey, let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for your mercy on us. We do thank you for our mothers. We pray that you would bless them today. We pray that you would be working in our congregation and meeting our needs. We pray especially for the Blaylocks and for the situation with Bart's father, that you would be superintending that. If this is the time to say goodbye, I pray that you would make that clear and that that would go well and that you would bless them if you are to heal him. I pray that you would make that clear. I pray that you would be working there for them and giving them comfort and giving them wisdom and giving the physicians wisdom. We thank you for all of our expectant mothers today, and we pray that you would bless them, keep their babies safe, and give them joy as they do this difficult work. We thank you for everything else that you've done and are doing in our church, and I pray that you would uh, bless me and uh, give me good things to say as I preach. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, it is Mother's Day today. And when I found out that I was preaching for Mother's Day, I immediately went to my lovely wife and I asked her, what should I preach about, honey? Like, what are the mothers of Church of the King dealing with right now? To which, without a second's thought, she responded with a one-word answer. Would anyone like to guess what that word was? Yes, sir. Babies. False. Faith. No. Stress, that's a little closer. Discipline, eh, not really, kind of. Uh, I'll just tell you. So I said, honey, what are the mothers of Church of the King dealing with right now? And less than the flap of a hummingbird's wings later, she said, despair. <laughs> and I was kind of taken aback and I was like, Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense, honey, because mom's life, you know, it, it seems really hard and it can feel really hard. And she said, correction, Nathan, it is really hard. <laughs> now, obviously, not every mom in our church is wallowing in the black pit of despair. But there are a lot of burdens and anxieties and fears and vulnerabilities that come with motherhood. Now, I thought we could talk about some of those today and how to take them to God. And I want to talk specifically to the mothers of children today, but obviously if you are, say, a man, it will be very easy for you to do the math and apply this. Also, I think if you are a woman without biological children here today, if there's anyone in your life that looks up to you, that looks to you whether it's a coworker or a friend or kids in the nursery that you serve, you're a mother. I think every woman is a mother one way or another. So I'm talking to everybody today, but I'm going to specifically talk to the moms of children because it's Mother's Day. Now, why did Meredith say despair? Why would a mother be tempted to despair? Well, it's because there are a lot of burdens and anxieties and fears and vulnerabilities that go with motherhood. I mean, let's just talk about some of them real quick. So there's the burdens and anxieties that go with the big sort of existential questions of being a mom, of 
having a human being or multiple human beings that you have to care for and help survive and help thrive through a variety of stages of growth all the way until you die. There's just the like big, you know, am I doing this right kind of question. There's no qualifying exam to become a mother, right? There's one thing that you need to do, and the ability to do that thing does not necessarily equate to the ability to raise a good, happy, thriving child, right? So am I doing this right? Am I dropping a ball? Am I dropping a ball that I don't even know exists? Maybe there's something I should be doing and I, I, nobody taught me to do it and I'm, I don't even know. There's the burdens and anxieties that come with the physical aspects of motherhood. We have a lot of pregnant moms right now. And so they've got, you know, things like hormones, things like postpartum depression, things like just the pain of childbirth to deal with. There's sick kids, there's waking up in the middle of the night, there's getting up early to drop your school kids off to school. Like, it takes an actual physical toll. There's just physical, bodily stuff that you have to deal with when you're a mom. There's the burdens and anxieties that mothers of young children and babies have. You know, like the whole, are we messing little Rufus up because we're using... Uh, cloth diapers instead of disposable diapers, or I don't make enough milk, so we're using formula, or, uh, you know, Andrea is going to be mad at us, our resident dentist, because we let her use the pacifier for too long, and we messed up the shape of their mouth. There's just the general feeling that the stuff that I do, if I stop doing it, the child will die. I am necessary for this little human being's survival. That's a burden, Right? There's the burdens and anxieties that come with older children, school-aged children. Why don't they respond to discipline? Is my husband spanking too hard? Are they getting educated rightly? Should we send them to private school? We can't afford private school. Should we send them to public school? I hear that's pretty woke. I don't like the school in our district. Should we homeschool? Oh, man, we, I, I don't know how to do that. I don't want to mess them up, though. There, there's the burdens about uh, the people speaking into our children's lives. If my kid spends too much time with our, his atheist uncle, is he going to become an atheist? The teachers, the, the friends that they have, the adults that watch over them, like, would I recognize a predator? If somebody was a predator in my kids' lives, kids get preyed on, right? Like, how do I know who to trust, who not to trust, what house to send them over, what birthday party to attend? There's burdens and anxieties, certainly about having teenagers and older kids. You know, why doesn't my kid like me anymore? Why is my kid suddenly not sweet? Why are they dealing with this kind of stuff? Uh, we came to Christ later, or we came to wisdom later. And so we're trying to get our act together, but our kids are already a little older, and they already don't feel like they love Jesus, or they feel like they're going a different direction, or they feel like they're interested in girls or boys or whatever, and did we already blow it? Did we already miss our shot? Maybe you have adult children, and you really feel like you already missed your shot. You're not allowed to see the grandkids or something, you know? There's that feeling of like, oh man, if I could just go back and do it over again, but that's not how life works. There's the burdens and anxieties that come with being a mother and having a husband, 
We, <laughs> my goodness, we have a rough marriage anyway, and we have these kids we have to take care of. My husband doesn't seem to like the kids. We're not on the same page about these big fundamental things about parenting. I don't like my husband. My husband doesn't like me. We don't have time to work on our marriage. We don't have time for sex. We don't have desire for sex. I don't have desire for sex. I don't have the body for sex. I wish that I could just put it on pause, like if I had a remote, like that stupid Adam Sandler movie, and I could just pause life and figure out my marriage, get everything together, take a breather, refresh, relax, reset. Then we could be okay, but the, the kids just keep going. Everything keeps going. There's the more personal burdens and anxieties, the ones you might not admit to someone else and you might not admit even to yourself. I feel angry all the time. I'm seeing my sins in my kids. When do I get a break? There's no off switch. There's no time or opportunity as a mom to fight my own sin. I don't have time to read the Bible. The kids are already up. Before I get up, I can't contribute to my job. I can't contribute to my church. I'm already behind when I wake up. How am I supposed to fight my sin of anger when I can't just stop for a moment of zen? My kids are constantly doing irritating things. How do I catch my breath enough to just say a prayer? Life keeps getting more busy. Maybe I don't like my kids. Maybe I have favorites. Maybe they know I have favorites. Maybe I have really deep personal issues. Maybe I've been abused. Maybe I have trauma. Maybe my daddy didn't love me. Maybe my sins against my children have been big, not small. Maybe the sins against me were big, not small. And I don't know how to come back from that. And I don't even know if I want to come back from that. Because to, to work on that would be to jeopardize the kind of peace and equilibrium that we do have. I don't know if I can heal enough myself to love my children in the way that God calls me to. And those are just some of them. I guess some of you can probably relate to many of those. Hopefully there's not anyone that's like, yep, everything is me. Check, 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 check. I know not all of our mothers are in the depths of horrible despair, but some might be tempted. Some might feel like you're only just keeping ahead of it. All of us feel the weight of the things that God has given us to carry. So let me read us a psalm about that, about the weight of the things that God has for us and crying out to him. And let me apply it to moms specifically. This is one of the best psalms, I think, about looking to God when we feel overwhelmed or even despairing. And it's going to teach us that it's normal to cry out to God, that God hears us when we do, and that we shouldn't lose heart in the midst of our troubles. Psalm 130. Psalm 130 is a song of ascents, which most scholars agree means it's a song that you would sing on your way to Jerusalem for one of the feast days. You're ascending to the city. So like you live in the country, you don't go to the city all the time, but about four times a year, there's these holy days and you are going to get your family and get on your little wagon or whatever and you're going to go to the city. And what do you do when you go on vacation or when you have a holiday, when you break with your routine? What happens? Well, you actually do have a little bit of that pause button right there, right? You, you, you take stock of your life. I mean, I don't know about you, but me, I... I, I, I if I'm going to deal with despair, a lot of times it'll be around the holidays because I'll be just taking stock of my life and seeing what could have been and what is and what, and you know, just 
thinking more about it, having time, breaking from the routine, having time to think about it. So you have to imagine someone going to Jerusalem for one of these big religious festivals, taking stock of their life, and singing this song. Psalmist writes in verse 1, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Now again, this is a psalm obviously about crying to God when you're at your lowest, asking for help. And there's three things I think we see. Number one, that it is normal to cry out to God for help. Number two, that God hears us when we do. And number three, that we shouldn't lose heart in the midst of troubles. So, so first of all, it is normal in the Christian life to cry out to God. Verse one again, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. It is normal in the Christian life to cry out to God. It is pretty normal, actually, to feel out of your depths, to not know what to do, to just be like, I can't handle this. This is too big for me. I am tempted to feel bad. The Christian life is actually not about arriving at a place where you never need anybody, where you just feel great all the time, where you don't even need to pray to God because God is so in your corner that everything's just great all the time. Now, on the flip side of that, the Christian life is also not about learned helplessness and giving and feeling bad all the time and saying to God sort of, only you are good and I'm worthless and it's a good thing that you're good because there's nothing I can do and my life is just terrible and I'm helpless to improve anything, but I'm glad that you're a good God. That's not what we're talking about, right? But that being said, as sinful people in a sinful world, interacting with other sinful people in, in a world that's affected by sin, that has things like disease and different problems that arise out of God's judgment on sin... It's normal to have times where we feel overwhelmed, where we feel helpless. It's not good to stay there, to be controlled by those feelings. If we live there and indulge those feelings of helplessness, then that's bad. I want to be very clear about that. But we shouldn't be surprised when we have feelings of just like, I'm in the depths, out of the depths I cry to you. Psalmist had them. Many godly Christians have them. There's so many psalms that start this way. They don't necessarily end this way, but they start this way. As Christians, we're going to feel overwhelmed. We're going to feel out of our depths. It's going to happen. And our job is not to never have those feelings. Our job is to, when we have those feelings, give those feelings to God. I'm hammering on this because so many of us think we're failures just simply because we find ourselves where the psalmist finds himself in this psalm. You know, like there's some people that just go through life like, uh, 
I'm wonderful, I'm unique, I'm exceptional, I'm a unicorn. There's like those people. Everybody loves those people, right? Well, some of us are the opposite of that. Like we think we're a unicorn of evil, a dark unicorn. Like I am wonderfully broken. I am uniquely horrible. I am exceptionally sinful. No one has ever seen such a monster as I. Oh, pitiful creature that I am. Beyond the aid of God or man, I am a dark unicorn. We feel overwhelmed by life's problems, and instead of saying, okay, cool, I'm a small, sinful person in a sinful world. Sometimes things are going to be too big for me. I'm going to have to ask God for help. We say, like, a real Christian wouldn't feel this way. So I must not be a real Christian. I must be beyond help. I mean, how many moms here have actually had that thought? I know that's pretty common. Like, oh, I see all the other moms and uh, they have it all together. They've got everything going. They, their kids are good. They're pretty ponies. I am a dark unicorn. And that is a lie. That is a lie. I don't care how messed up you are, how messed up your past was. You, you are not special in your badness. But Satan really wants you to think that you're special in your badness. Because he wants you to despair and he wants you to not go to God for help. And it is easy to feel broken beyond repair, right? Verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Now, as mothers, you all know how evil you are. It's kind of thrown in your face when you have children. Maybe you're an angry mom. Maybe you're a scared and faithless mom. Whatever it is, it's sort of thrown into relief by having kids. Meredith and I have had a tough couple of weeks. Most of you know we had a difficult funeral to attend. And there's been some tension and there's been some fighting in our home because of that. And our kids really make us feel the sinfulness of our sin because we'll be fighting and I'll be like, ah, Meredith, you're so stupid. And she'll be, ah, Nathan, you're so fat. And, and then our little two-year-old toddler comes up and looks sad and hugs my legs or Meredith's legs and says, sorry, mommy, sorry, daddy. It's just like, oh man, we are really bad. We're giving this kid a neurotic complex through our own fighting that we can't explain to her. She's two. Kids do that. They show you your sin. They enact your sin. They adapt your sin. They become your sin, right? It's easy to feel like a terrible sinner when you have children. Because you are, and your children reflect that. They are mirror to that. But, again, God doesn't leave us there. We don't have a God who wants us to stay in the pit of despair. We are supposed to cry out to God. We are supposed to ask him to hear us, to ask him to forgive us. Verse number two, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Now, it is really fascinating to me how much that language is in Scripture. Like you'd think that the psalmists and the people that compose prayers to God would just would say, dear Lord, I know you hear me. But actually, a lot of times the language is, dear Lord, please Turn my direction. 
Like, like a kid tugging on dad's coat sleeve. Like, look over here. Look at me. I have something to tell you. I need your help with something. And there's a, a disrespectful way to be that kid, obviously. A nagging, presumptuous way. But we should, when we feel out of our depths, say, God, please listen to me. I know you are, but please pay attention to me. Please help me. I need your help, Lord. You are the Father that I need. When we cry out like that, we must cry out with the assurance that God does hear us, that God wants to forgive us of those big sins that are real, and that he wants to redeem our lives. He wants to change us. Verse 4 says, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. In other words, God forgives us in order to bring fear, to bring glory, to bring honor, to bring awe to himself. If we were hoping that God would forgive us, that God would redeem us, that God would make our lives whole because we were so perfect and so likable and so lovable, then just as we've been talking about throughout the book of Romans, we would be sunk. But God wants to actually make us whole in order to bring glory to himself. It's like, again, with Theo, my two-year-old, if I dropped her off at the nursery and she's bad all day in nursery, I'm not hoping that that's what'll happen. I'm not like, oh boy, I hope Theo's really bad so I can show my power by crushing her. No, I want Theo to be really good in the nursery because that reflects really well on me. I want all the nursery workers to be like, wow, Nathan's such a great parent. He's made such a likable child. What, what a great authority Nathan is. I, I, wanna, I want that glory for myself, the glory of Theo being somebody that people like to be around. I don't want to crush her. And that's God. God gets more glory when the most irredeemable people are redeemed. When the most broken people, the people with the biggest problems, the people who are most beyond help, are helped. So God will give us what we need. It's not always going to be what we want, but God will give us what we need, and we have to ask him with a cheerful, humble expectation that he will do that. Uh, verse number five, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning more than watchmen for the morning. Now that has got to be one of the most beautiful little poetic metaphors in all of scripture, especially for people like me who are more rainy day people. Like if you're a little depressive, that speaks to you, right? I mean, just think about the metaphor. Think about the analogy. You have this watchman who's like on the wall guarding the castle all by himself. Maybe he drew, uh, drew the short straw. Maybe the captain of the guards doesn't like him that much. So he finds himself out in the cold and the dark with just like a flickering torch behind him, throwing shadows. And he's just looking out into a sea of darkness. And he doesn't know what dangers are out there. He doesn't know what enemy might be lurking. And it's cold and it's dark and it's wet and the shadows are playing tricks on his eyes. And 
Yeah, it's that two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning time. The darkest time. The witching hour. You know, when all evil things feel at their strongest. And he's just looking out into an ocean of darkness and he doesn't know what he's going to do. And it feels like the sun is never going to rise. But he knows the sun always rises. It has not been extinguished. As sure as the turning of the earth, it's going to come again. And so he just waits for the morning, knowing it will come. He waits for the morning. And I can't, to the mothers today, promise that toilet training is going to go well or that your teenager will love you all the time or that you won't suffer because of your sin or that your children won't suffer because of your sin. But I can promise that if you are in God, he does love you and he is working all things for your good. And we have to discipline ourselves to cling to that, to let it motivate us when we're facing an ocean of darkness to take the next right step because we know there is a sun. And we realize we're not actually doing it alone. If we're the guard on the wall, we're not actually out there guarding the wall by ourselves. There's a whole bunch of other guards standing shoulder to shoulder with us, facing the darkness with us. We're doing this as a body. God is working his salvation and his redemption to us as a body. We're all, as a church, moving the ball down the court together. Verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Israel is God's people, right? The psalm goes from being like a personal thing for like one person processing their stuff, and then suddenly it goes corporate. And this happens in the psalms all the time, in the prayers of God's people, like where, where, the, where the psalmist just takes a step back and realizes, actually, God is not just dealing with me, he's dealing with his people, who I am a part of. And so God gave you the church as a mother to stand with you. Don't be a dark unicorn. Send that text. Go to the mom's group. Ask somebody for help. Talk to somebody about what's going on. Make a friend. Reach out. You are not beyond God's help. You are not beyond other people's help. Many people have been exactly where you are. When you feel like that is not true, that is because Satan is lying to you. Because he wants you to lose heart. So don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. If you're a mother and, and you know, let's go back to our, our list of like existential questions at the beginning. Am I doing this right? No, probably not. But God is good and God will use your failures. Am I dropping a ball that I don't know exists? Yeah, several. But God isn't dropping anything. When do I get a break? I don't know, but God will provide rest and rejuvenation. Am I messing up little Rufus because we're using uh, disposable diapers instead of cloth? Yes. (laughs) He'll be fine. God will work through your mistakes. And also, no. Um, Why don't my kids respond to discipline? Am I doing something wrong? I don't know. Talk to somebody. People have been there before. They've felt like their kids aren't responding and 
discipline is a, it's not like a one time I did this thing right and now my kid's perfect. It's like a, each little incident of discipline is like a brick that you're putting into an edifice that is a good kid. It's, it's a process. It's a journey, not a destination. Are my kids getting educated rightly? I have no idea. But kids are different. People have been there before. And God can work again through your mistakes. My husband and I don't get along. He doesn't love me. Our sex life sucks. Well, Jesus is the great physician, and he said he came for the sick, not for the well. And guess what? Our culture is really sick sexually. It would be weirder if you didn't have some problems in that area, actually. People are going to bring baggage in this day and age to that, and in every day and age, really. But again, don't be like, oh, we have such deep, dark problems that we're beyond God. No, you have no idea the things God has done in this very church alone to heal people who came from abuse, from trauma, from fornication, from abdication, from all kinds of things. So have faith. I feel angry all the time. I see my sins in my kids. I don't even like my kids. I'm so broken. I'm so far behind. I was so destroyed by my own father. I don't think I can come back from it. Congratulations. You are exactly the kind of person that God delights to show his power in. You are a prime candidate for God to show off, and that is a wonderful place to be. When you're in the deepest depths, you should have extra hope. This is like, wow, this is, this is where God shines. This is where God likes to shine. This is where he likes to work. You don't get points in the Christian life for being humble and thinking that you're too broken to fix. That's just faithlessness. So, so I can't give specific pieces of advice for each thing that each individual mother is dealing with this Mother's Day. But I do know that we should cry out to God and that we should expect that he will hear us, whatever our level of burden and anxiety is. And in the places where we feel most beyond repair, we should know that God is ready and willing and wanting to work in those places and that he promises it all throughout his scriptures. Now, before we're done, just a brief word to the husbands. As husbands, we always, I mean, we talk about this in men's group all the time, right? But we always have to step up our game. So much of the reason why our wives have those vulnerabilities and fears and everything that I listed is because we're making them bear responsibility that they shouldn't have to. Your wife is feeling so much pressure about how to discipline the toddler and whether the teen should have a smartphone and blah, 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 because you're leaving it all to her, some of you. You were made as a husband to bear a lot of weight so that your wife doesn't have to, to be able to just say to her, I got this, I will provide for us, I will get us the things, whatever it is, right? And, and there's two, very quickly, two ways that I think you can really do that this week. Uh, number one, as a husband, just make a, make a dumb decision this week. Way too, I don't, I don't want you to make it, please, I, I forbid you, do not make a good decision. Make a dumb decision. Way too much pressure to have to make a good one. But make a dumb one and make it decisively. Honey, we're going to discipline the kids for whining, but I'm really tired of like all the drama at bedtime, so we're, we're going to ease off on that. I don't want to battle right there. So make that decision. Maybe that's the dumbest decision in the world. 
But you know what? Now your wife has a game plan. So she's not always feeling bad about, ah, what do I do? Should I discipline for this? Should I not? If things go badly and suddenly bedtime is like a horror movie, well, it's your fault now instead of hers, which is a wonderful gift that you can give her. And you've got a concrete thing to evaluate. So maybe in three weeks, you're like, oh, bedtime's the worst. I messed it all up. And you go to Pastor Jake and he's like, you moron. Bet you eased off at bedtime? That's like the one thing you shouldn't have done. He would be much meaner than that. Um, and then you go back to your wife with your tail between your legs and you say, sorry, honey. Okay, new plan. Let's discipline for both. Okay, a good plan would have been better, right? But your bad plan, your terrible, dumb decision took pressure off of your wife. It, it bore some good fruit in disciplining for whining. And uh, by being proactive, it led to the good plan that you now got from Pastor Jake. None of which would have happened if rather than making a bad plan, you made no plan. So for heaven's sake, make a dumb decision about something this week. It's, it could be such a gift to your wife if you make a dumb decision. And secondly, as husbands, we need to have the ability to say no to our wives. You, know, you just go, heard me go through so many of the fears that women have. What's the thing that they all kind of have in common, all those thousands of them? What is your wife actually most scared of in all the world? <laughs> I think herself, right? If you can stand up to the beast in her, then she'll know that you can stand up to anything because she's far and away the biggest, scariest thing you'll probably ever have to deal with. And so if you can stand up to her and if you can stand up to yourself, then she'll know you can stand up to your boss and you can stand up to uh, Pastor Jake when he calls you a moron. That's another wonderful gift that you can give her, when it, not when it's done in a domineering, jerky way, of course, but if you could do it in real generosity of spirit and love, if you can set some expectations for your home, make some dumb decisions, I think that can take so much pressure off of our mothers, and I think most of them would probably appreciate that. So, happy Mother's Day. Let's pray.